Hi, and welcome to Are You Done Yet? The podcast about your project and work management challenges. I'm Mike Taylor with Innovative E. Today I have with me as normal, Brian Quick. Hey, good morning, everybody. And a special guest, our very own Ruan Fernando. Hey, everybody. So Ruan is our CTO and head of our uh, development operations out of Colombo, Sri Lanka. Brian, you want to take, his, take it away? Yeah, we're real happy to have Ruan here today. Uh, of course, we talked regularly, but we th- wanted to introduce you to our audience here. Um, and you guys have been working together for a long time, right? Yeah, Brian. Uh, we've, uh, we're getting close on 15 years now, I think. Uh, but uh, even before that, Mike and I uh, worked at other uh, customers uh, that we still work with today. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've, we've been working together, I think, 17, 18 years, Mike. Yeah. So, I think does that sound about right? I think it's about right. About 2003, I think, or two, somewhere around there. Yep. Yeah. So being the newcomer here, I've only been with Innovative E for a year. Um, so tell us a little bit more about how the company got started, Ruan, and your ties to Sri Lanka and how that all worked out. Sure, uh, Brian. Yeah, we. Uh, so I, I uh, was born and bred, and possibly buttered in uh, Sri Lanka. <laughs> um, though, uh, though I had the opportunity of being over in uh, the U.S. Uh, for a year school back in the day. So I, I, I'd always uh, loved being in the U.S. Uh, enjoyed. Uh, the culture, enjoyed the experience. I uh, really got into programming and uh, computers because of the year I did in uh, the States. And uh, so when uh, when I started working at my pre- at the previous company I worked at uh, and uh, I uh, got the opportunity to be in the US, it was a great, uh, it felt like coming back home in a sense. And mm-hmm. then uh, Mike and I uh, met up, I think, around 2002 or three, as Mike said. And uh, initially, I think we found it easy to work with each other. And then we thought, look, uh, we've really got to uh, see if we can do more together. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was keen to get back home to Sri Lanka. Um, and so we started talking about it. And I think, I think it was around January 2006 that we officially kicked off uh, Innovative East Sri Lanka. And uh, we are getting close on 15 years now. Mm-hmm. So that's been, a, that's been a great journey. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. Mike, how do you remember it? About the same way. Um, I think the uh, a funny story about the uh, beginning of our, our meeting, um, I was managing a bunch of projects for this client that, um, that Ruan was talking about. And the guy that was the, the the lead of the whole group. There was about, I don't know, 16 or 20 people in that group, I guess, Ruan, right? And um, he uh, he had to go back to Sri Lanka. And um, so they, they were going to bring somebody else in. Well, I didn't know that Ruan had already been there. And there's a gentleman we used to work with very closely named Carol Ford, who was actually leading the whole group. He was the, uh, I guess, director of that dev t- operation there. And he said, well, we're going to bring this guy in. And I said, well, we really need to vet him. And he said, he'll be all right. And I said, sound like Carol. I was like, uh, no, we really need to interview him. He goes, no, he'll be all right. I was like, Carol, we really need to. He goes, he's fine. 
I won't talk about the chicken suit. <laughs> oh no. What are some things that's, that's left unsaid? The podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great, guys. So, so you decided to go back home to Sri Lanka and start an Innovative E um, SL, we call it for short. And um, Mike, uh, you stayed here in the States, obviously, and uh, we've been working together ever since. So um, mm-hmm. when customers have certain needs that the, the SL team um, is best suited for, like custom development uh, being one of those things, and we'll talk about that a little bit, um, then we rely on your team uh, for those solutions. And uh, Innovative EUS has you know, the, their expertise in their wheelhouse in, in certain other areas. So it's a very symbiotic relationship, the yin and the yang, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. All right. We've worked so, with a lot of customers over the years, too. Yeah. And, and, and doing not just, um, not just custom enterprise application development, but also actually product development for customers. We've actually converted product, um, ported it from one technology to another, and we've um, extended systems. We've taken kind of whole control of the, the innovative, the, you know, in conjunction with the um, operation there and mostly the heavy lifting, obviously, there in the development center. Yeah, it's a different kind of development um, center that we have there, Ron, right? I mean, there are, you know, you, we get emails all the time about, you know, offshore development and this and that. And, um, w- you know, we, we like to think that we're a little bit different. Um, how, how do you think that our shop is a little bit different, Ruan? What are, what are our unique selling points on that? Well, I think uh, Brian has been a key uh, piece of what we do. So right from the get-go, okay. we... Uh, made sure that we had a strong quality assurance team. We talk about uh, quality assurance on day one. So when we've got a customer engagement, we make sure that our quality team is also included. Uh, The quality team, uh, I'm sure those of you who have been doing dev out there know how often uh, QA teams and development teams are not always uh, the best of friends. But uh, our QA team often uh, becomes our best friend because right from the get-go, we work together to understand what the quality requirements are. The QA team will challenge the dev team, Mm -hmm. uh, will give us grief early on, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a very collaborative process uh, where, you know, together we build and write great software. So I think quality is a big part of our story. Um, We've also got a team that has got used to uh, following as much process as is required. So for example, if it's a small add-in that we're doing for, or a a low code solution, we'd we'd go light on process. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when there's a heavy uh, lift product that has to be built, our team has the process capability to get continuous deployment, continuous integration type uh, pipelines in place. Um, we have uh, a process where from business analysis to design to uh, to the code artifacts, to test cases and test plans, all of that is covered. It's there are well-defined places for all of those artifacts to go into, be it either in SharePoint or 
in uh, Azure DevOps. We really like the role that Azure DevOps plays in our process, where from requirements through to code, to, to, uh, through to dev, uh, to QA, uh, all of the artifacts are stored in one repository. It's all tied together. And uh, there is great visibility into what is being worked on, where uh, a particular piece of the puzzle comes into, uh, into play. And uh, you know it's, it, it all lives in one place, as opposed mm -hmm. to having uh, different things all over the place, scattered in emails, scattered on uh, uh, chat threads. That, that just gives me the creeps to think of, uh, you know, trying to figure out requirements based on a chat thread. Right. So we've we've got this process that uh, that we've been using for a while now, and it it really works. And we've we've evolved it. Um, when we started out, a, a lot of work we were doing was waterfall based, but people now just know that waterfall isn't the only solution, and very often, most times, it's not a good solution at all. Mm -hmm. So uh, agile and Scrum and uh, Kanban in certain cases is mm. the way to go. And we've been able to make it work, uh, I think, very effectively for us because we have enough process to provide visibility mm -hmm. while at the same time uh, keeping things light enough to not get in the way of uh, getting the actual product out. So so that's, that's part of what we bring to the table. That's great. Um, I just wanted to add to that point, um, Ruan, what you're really talking about there is kind of a full functional team, right? It's not just, you know, some developers or some QA, we could plug right into um, the customer's team in whatever capacity they need, um, you know, maybe actually taking over a whole application, um, or it could be doing components of it, like you said. The other interesting point that you made there, you mentioned like ADO, um, I know that the team has been involved, that oftentimes you've gotten involved with customers, and then they've noticed how the kind of rigor and process that you bring and the, and the tool expertise. And they've said, well, can you guys help us, you know, kind of get our processes around um, ADO or whatever it is uh, a little better refined. So that's something else that they, you know, customers um, find a lot of value in as well. Yeah, Mike, uh, there's a, there's one specific customer who comes to mind and uh, started out working with this customer. They had a good product uh, and they needed a, a dev team uh, to supplement their existing team to modernize and to improve the product. And uh, we we got in and we started working. Um, however, their entire deployment process was, what's the word I'm looking for? Manual. Okay. <laughs> it was entirely manual. I thought you were going to say something else, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Manual. Um, yeah, this was, and this was not that long ago. I mean, uh, TFS Online had been around for a while by that point. Mm -hmm. um, but the customer was still using an on-premise uh, TFS, uh, which they had to manage, they had to back it up, uh, and all of that. And uh, since the IEC uh, team that was working with them was based halfway across the world, uh, we were a little concerned that what would happen if the TFS server went down overnight or something like that? Not that TFS uh, is uh, unreliable or anything, but still, I mean, it's it's 
on premise, right? If something were to go down, uh, we'd have to wake folks up in the middle of the night. And uh, there was this uh, great little option called uh, uh, TFS Online, which is what it was called back then, uh, now known as ADO. And uh, we felt that, you know, we would benefit from the reliability of a cloud hosted system, as well as the performance of hitting something that was not halfway across the world possibly. Uh, and so we recommended it. I think we brought a certain amount of thought leadership there because we'd used uh, ADO before uh, and we had more experience with it. Um, and so the customer very uh, wisely agreed to using it uh, without trying to you know, force us to get into their uh, data center and all of the uh, issues that sometimes come up with uh, that kind of process. And so as uh, time went on, we uh, started using ADO to store uh, the source code. Uh, we helped to actually provision it, get it up and running. Uh, we already had uh, Visual Studio licenses, which we, which meant that we didn't. There was no new additional licensing cost. And also, from a visibility perspective, we started using the uh, Azure uh, workboards to have the uh, tasks that we were working on. We were able to provide uh, feedback immediately, uh, and. You know, the really great thing was that even if somebody was on the other end of the world and fast asleep at the time uh, someone was looking at uh, status updates, they didn't have to pick up the phone and call them to find out. It was all right there uh, in the work board. You could, you could quickly see what was in work, what was blocked, what was uh, completed and uh, what was in progress and so on. Um, so that was how it got started. But then this initial problem of the manual bills uh, was still very much there and you needed the bills took a while to do. Um, someone would, might forget to put a label on a bill once in a way. Mm. Some, in certain cases, they, they were not even labeling the code at the time. And uh, so we suggested that we uh, automate this process. I think we initially uh, did it internally just to push out a build to the development environment. That's another part of our process where we always have an integration or development environment, a QA environment, um, mm -hmm. maybe a UAT or staging, as well as production and any others that are required. Right. And what we found was that it was, it cut down the time from maybe 15 minutes to half an hour to do a build to one button click. Mm. Uh, generally, two to three minutes, it would all happen in the cloud and then get pushed to a Azure web application. Uh, and your build was out there and it was ready and it was predictable. Uh, if somebody forgot to do something, well, Azure wouldn't forget or ADO wouldn't forget. Uh, it would it would be out there and very, very predictable. Um, and then from there, we uh, took on the QA environment, again, a button click, and all of a sudden now we would have multiple builds maybe within a week or sometimes multiple per day, 
and you would know exactly which build was on QA, exactly which build was on dev. And uh, just to avoid a cheeky developer from pushing a build in the middle of uh, a QA test cycle, we put in a workflow so that uh, the QA lead would have to approve a build getting pushed out there and it getting in the way of, you know, uh, a regression test run getting uh, spoiled in the middle of all of that or something like that. So you're really um, doing a suite with available within Azure DevOps in practice. In practice, that's right. Um, we also started tracking uh, the test cases and test results in the test plan feature of ADO. Um, okay. That allowed us to, you know, uh, immediately when you log a defect, there's already a task created on your workboard, um, so the developer would uh, be able to pick it up and fix it. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's again fantastic end-to-end uh, -end, uh, tie-up between uh, all of your uh, team members in a sense. So um, they really brought you in to you know, for the coding solution, for the dev solutions that you're able to provide. But but then having been embedded in the customer and realizing that there were sort of these opportunities to improve the process and to leverage additional tooling in the suite, um, you, you decided that you're going to start actually trying to change or influence the customer's way that they do development, not only provide excellent development resources. That's right, Brian, yes. Um, and I, I hope, uh, I, I think we definitely added value there. Um, yeah, the interesting point is that they actually now have about 10 or 12 different environments hooked up to this ADO uh, pipeline. And uh, it's, it's really brilliant to see because you can see these 10 or 12 uh, environments, you know exactly what build version is on any of those instances. Mm -hmm. um, on a dashboard, you don't have to keep track of it. We previously uh, had something called a release dashboard where any uh, project we would know uh, which build was in dev, which build was in QA, uh, right. staging, uh, UAT production, uh, and we had to manually upload, update all of that. Right. Uh, now it's all right there and uh, you know when a build was pushed out, uh, when it was deployed, um, all of that for free, basically, because you're doing the process anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and you're talking, you know, you're not talking one or two people in the team. I mean, I think um, we have, what, 10 or 15 people over there and the customer has a significant number of developers and um, BAs and, you know, folks in there as well. So, you you know, you're bringing all this process and, and technology together and it helps refine and, and streamline the team operations as well, from what I understand. That's right, Mike. Yes. So, so there is a fairly, I mean, it's a significantly sized team um, mm -hmm. and uh, it, uh, it gives a great uh, amount of uh, visibility across the board. And again, you know, when you're in the middle of COVID, the reality is you're not all working from the same place. Uh, right. You're not all. Oh, there's there's some of the guys. It's obviously a pre pre COVID picture here. <laughs> pre COVID. Yeah. Picture, yes. This is a you exactly. know this is the team right right uh, Ruan. I see you in the uh, the back um, left there, um, peeking right. over. Yes. 
And uh, and so this is the team in, in a in an office photo, um, obviously before the work from home mandate came into play. But um, it's a it's a pretty sizable team that you've got there. Right, and I think it's grown since then. Um, we have uh, we have a, around 30, 35 people now on the team, and uh, yeah, it, it really helps to uh, keep everybody in sync. Right when you're using these tools the right way, the way that they're intended. Um, so this is another photo of the team. Now, this is the uh, the office in Sri Lanka. You actually, we actually have a physical office there, right? I can see actually that the same type of window in this photo as is behind you now. <laughs> yeah, so the frost is the same uh, place. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, in office today. Uh, I've actually been in office most days. Uh, but uh, a lot of our team does work from home. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, we've got the infrastructure set up so that folks can come in securely. In this day and age, you, you can never be too careful, I guess. Uh, and uh, so we've got everybody on VPN and uh, folks come in and uh, yeah. uh, work. Yeah, you mentioned something there. You, you mentioned the word securely. Um, and it was a topic that I wanted to, to kind of pick up on. Sorry, Brian. Um, uh, we've been talking a lot about that throughout the years when you're doing custom development for, for customers, especially if it's a, a product like you're talking about with this one particular customer. And we've done that with a lot of customers. Um, you have to go through security reviews, very detailed um, assessments of your operating procedures. I know that you guys have had some challenges um, this year because of, of, of COVID and having to move people around and go virtual and things like that. But security and compliance with with those kind of things is is also part of um, kind of the DNA of of what we do with our operations over there as well, right? Right, Ruwan. Yeah, Mike, absolutely. And I think uh, right from the start, we've been working with uh, customers who had to be compliant on uh, initiatives back in the day, like Socks, mm -hmm. uh, Sabi Um More recently, GDPR has come into play. Uh, and even if I mean, even if you are a U.S.-based company, if your if your clientele is based in Europe, you've still got to be thinking about GDPR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a lot of emphasis on personal data. And, uh, yeah. So so we've built that into our uh, DNA in a sense. We have to uh, we work. We are a Microsoft partner, so there are certain Compliance requirements there as well. Yeah, <laughs> pretty strange ones. Support. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've we've got our team, and one of the first things we do is we walk them through uh, data privacy, uh, what can and cannot be done, uh, why uh, certain information has to be uh, used and handed out on a need to know basis, uh, what our responsibilities are when we've got those uh, those uh, bits of data in our hand. If we are processing uh, personal data, what we need to do, um, and then even down to um, more technical areas of what are the top ten uh, uh, security issues that web applications have. Uh, mm -hmm. And so our dev team actually has been trained to think on those terms and uh, to think of security. 
Uh, we've even had to help certain customers uh, fix security issues. Uh, and that has been a key part of the engagement. And so we've had dedicated resources that have worked on it maybe for two or three months at a time because there was, say, an application uh, that was scanned and uh, maybe 10 or 20 issues and those needed to be remediated. Mm -hmm. So those that kind of skill set is useful to have. And in this day and age, I think it's mandatory to have. And so it's not just those one or two resources that we sort of uh, hand off the responsibility to. We try to do uh, internal seminars or a lunch and learn where some of those learnings that have uh, come in are then shared with the team. So for example, the OWASP top 10 issues, mm -hmm. uh, there are folks who join us who have never maybe heard about what this is, mm -hmm. but they get to learn it pretty quickly. Uh, so that, you know, when you write code, you don't introduce those errors in the first place, but you're also capable then of going and remediating them later. Yeah, that's awesome. Because we have a lot of customers we've worked with, you know, with our partner Bravo at the platform level, security and compliance level. Now you're moving, you're talking about um, writing compliant code, um, which is which is fantastic. It's it, And like I said, it's really um, mandatory um, these days for, for customers. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ruan, recently um, we had an opportunity to, we had a request from, from Microsoft to do a demo on Azure DevOps. Um, and we had another one from CDW um, in a similar capacity. So these customers are, you know, considering their, you know, future tooling with uh, for development and uh, they would need it in ADO demo. Well, you know, we could do an ADO demo here in the sales department, but we thought it would be better to have your folks actually show these customers how they're using the suite from top to bottom as opposed to just doing a demo a contoso demo um and and i thought that that demonstration went really well because it showed our depth in the tool set and also our ability to um, use it on a daily basis and really talk to the customer about you know how they might use it going forward. So I thought that was a really good development and something that we'll we'll do more of in the future. Yeah, Brian, that was I think that demo went well. I think uh, we were able to cover a lot of uh, the areas that ADO has, but uh, sometimes you know forgotten about. Everybody knows ADO does uh, workboards, right, and uh, source code repositories, right. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, for example, the testing tools are not something that uh, possibly everybody uses all of the time, but it is uh, really useful. Yeah, you, you mentioned that earlier in the conversation, how you were able to automate uh, the builds and the testing processes. What kind of impact did that have on, on the actual customer's ability to produce additional results and ultimately um, you know, influence the product that they were building? Well, I think with the, with the automated builds, you're looking at uh, a, a level of consistency and predictability, mm -hmm. uh, which is always helpful. You, you do not want to have to guess yeah. whether somebody labeled the code, uh, whether somebody or, ran... Or rollback code, right? <laughs> because it was deployed incorrectly, which is always right. painful. Yeah. It impacts the, the user community. 
mm-hmm. um, whether metrics that you would take regularly were taken or not uh, at the point of doing a build. Uh, so that level of consistency and then the the removal of the human effort in doing all of this it's it's a one click process right right that saves you you know half an hour multiple times a day possibly if you if you've been on a dev team uh, you know what uh, release night is like uh, at least back in the day this is this is how <laughs> it works. Uh, and you do you'd end up possibly doing three, four bills because somebody forgot the release note, somebody uh, forgot to commit code. And, uh, you know, it, it adds up fast and you end up staying, eating a lot of pizza and staying late at office, yeah. right? And uh, nobody wants to do that. Uh, but particularly if each of those cycles takes half an hour to an hour to do, uh, that's miserable. And I think this uh, this has just helped us to reduce and uh, compress that timeline. Everything happens automatically uh, on a button click. And if, if if Azure DevOps gets tired and misses a step, we haven't seen it happen yet. <laughs> so um, one, of the, one of the things about that, and we see this with other kinds of work management, um, because we do a lot in that space as well, right, is that because you can do faster iterative cycles, you, I'm sure, are producing higher quality code as well, right? Um, you're not having to go through all right, we we can only do one deploy a week to staging because it takes so long, right? You, you, like you said, you may be doing multiple deploys a day. And so with that higher frequency of, you know, fix, repair, recode, you know, get it right, um, test it, it, it seems like you're going to be producing much higher quality product as well. That's right, Mike. yes, yeah. absolutely. And also if, if uh, it's... Uh, large enough product that requires uh, some test automation that can be triggered automatically before uh, before the QA team ever comes in and starts manual testing uh, so that you cut down that time significantly of, you know, you, you end up with a dead on arrival build uh, and then you've got to go back to the drawing board, right? This way you can do a lot of that. Uh, this, this is nothing new. I, I mean, we've been doing automated uh, uh, testing for a while. But, I had a flashback uh, yeah. to uh, when we first started working together, and, and th- it was the exact same scenario And the customer we were talking about. we The team was doing manual deploys, and, and you guys brought to the table, hey, um, uh, you and I think some of the customer developers said, we really need to start automating this process. And when we did, um, you know, those those deploy nights um, got a lot more pleasant. <laughs> there were some very late nights I remember spinning on, you know, chat threads and yeah, you know, oh, we got to redeploy this, and it would go on and test. And oh, this isn't, this is failing. And you know, sometimes it went very long. Um, so it got much better. Um, and that was 15, 16 years ago. So yeah, it's not not a new thing. Correct. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so we're um, we've been focusing a lot of that conversation so far on this um, marquee customer that we're talking about, where you're actually developing um, a low code solution for them. The, that they can leverage for their customers, which is really innovative work. Um, what are some of the other areas of of development that you guys are are doing? I, th- I think we talked about SharePoint, you know, being one of them. React, uh, ABO, uh, App Rescue, and Power Apps. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Brian, it's interesting. Uh, I think. Uh 
in the first four or five years of uh, Innovative in Sri Lanka, we were really known as a SharePoint company. Okay. A uh, lot of SharePoint work. Um, we've, we've been uh, through multiple generations of SharePoint back from like SharePoint WSS 3.0 for those of you who remember. Uh, and I remember writing uh, uh, SharePoint uh, work packages called WSPs by hand. Uh, <laughs> this was before some of those tools came out and you know cut everybody's uh, time down a fair bit. So, so Innovative has been doing SharePoint for a long time. I think that's that's the point I'm getting to. Um, and then uh, over time, there were uh, new things that came in SharePoint Foundation, uh, the client-side object model. Um, SharePoint Online required a whole different tool set because you couldn't deploy server-side code, and that's probably a really good thing. Um, and then more recently, uh, the Power Platform uh, plugs in really well with SharePoint. You can do Power Automate, uh, also called Flow in the past, for those uh, of you who aren't familiar with the word, Power Automate. And so, uh, we've been through a lot of that uh, technology evolution. Um, there were a few things I skipped over and uh, just uh, moved on. But yeah, we've done a lot of SharePoint work over, over time. Um, we've recently been doing a lot of work in the ReactJS space. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a React uh, developer myself, uh, but a lot of the applications we write now uh, use some degree of uh, React. Uh, the most recent thing I was playing with was actually a Teams uh, app uh, that I was writing, uh, Microsoft Teams uh, and add-on app. And uh, guess what? There's a React uh, JS uh, component in there and a lot of uh, uh, folks are going to be able to write uh, those apps for teams and work on uh, a technology that uh, you know is cutting edge and maybe they've already uh, had to uh, use and they're familiar with um, so the, it's it's really interesting to see how Microsoft uh, applications are becoming uh, so sort of integrated with uh, with JavaScript, that's been happening now for a good uh, five to eight years, I think. But uh, even the more modern uh, frameworks like React are now getting plugged into uh, these Microsoft tools. And uh, then, of course, we've been writing uh, React JS and React Native applications for a while now as well. Um, some for Sri Lankan clients. Um, we, we did a, uh, some React work uh, with another client in the US where I think uh, this was uh, an area where they needed help. They had a dev team that hadn't really worked with React and we came in. Uh, it was a short uh, duration project, but what we did was we took their code base, very quickly started to understand what it was doing, and then helped them to plug in React uh, into their legacy ASP.NET application. And uh, it was an unsupported uh, 
uh, scenario, but we managed to get React working and uh, integrated with them. Uh, and so we do uh, that type of work also, Brian, where we do the yeah. sort of application rescue. I think, Mike, that's, that's yeah, that's exactly what I was yeah, let's say. talk about this. I think I don't know if we coined the phrase or not, um, but application rescue. So what is that, Mike? Uh, as far as I know, we did. Uh, it came up in a conversation, uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, because we were running into these same kind of scenarios that Ruan has brought up um, multiple times with customers where they, they say, come in, um, we've got a problem with this application. In some cases, we had at least uh, one or two times where the customers, personnel, they they didn't even have the personnel who understood the code. They'd even been given the code or the personnel who right. understood it was gone. Um, so we had to come in and kind of figure it out, and the team did a really good job of understanding, you know, how it worked, what it did, um, and then how to get your hands around the process and, and the code management of it, so we could actually make it an effective product for the for the customer. So, yeah. um, so that is something that has happened as it's happening with an increasing frequency, and I think it's probably partially because of the whole digital transformation, the whole um, you know move to the cloud. Everyone's doing these 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 applications are kind of popping up. People are like, well, what is that one? We, yeah. <laughs> it's sitting on a server somewhere now. It's got to get to the cloud, or we're not sure, or we've lost the team that does that, or there's all kinds of scenarios that are mm -hmm. going on, and, and we get involved. And um, sometimes it's you know we we can kind of get them right sided, and then you know hand the keys back over to them. And sometimes the customer says, well, why don't you guys just keep managing that for us? Right, that's an interesting concept. I mean, you're right. I think the the catalyst there is we're we're moving to the cloud, so we need to figure out how to either refactor or or eliminate certain applications that are legacy or move them to to a cloud enabled um, scenario and and so a lot of places you know <clears throat> we've been contacted i think i could you know probably a handful of times at least mm -hmm. with these type of scenarios i remember one being um a company that had purchased an application in a code base from another company mm -hmm. um, and they were they wanted to use it, but they didn't know how it worked. They didn't have anybody that was versed in using it or had written it, and the documentation was was not um, up to snuff. So they asked us to kind of come in and say, figure out how this thing works. And in your team, Ruan, we're digging through code, um, trying to document and figure out what the logic was and how this thing functioned. There was another scenario where we had a customer, an existing customer, who we do a lot of work for in a lot of different areas. And so there was a trust factor there. Talk to us about, hey, we've got 52 access database solutions and we don't know what they do. Um, they've kind of, it kind of evolved that way over time where people would develop their own and then it got put on a server somewhere. And and um, we don't we don't really have an inventory of what these things do, but. But Mike, think of the amount of manpower and thinking and, and type of, of uh, evaluation and then execution that went into emulating all those business processes as many applications and access. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and tremendous amount. So you might think about that as, all right, well, I don't know what they do. Just turn it off and see who, who screams. But there might be business critical um, processes in there that that company relies on. So they turned to us and they said, hey, can you guys take a look at this? Um, there was another one that you had mentioned in Texas, Ruan, where 
they wanted to get into some of that React, um, but they just really didn't know how to get started. So we were able to help them out, get into that code base, and add some components in there. So, so that's what we're calling App Rescue. If you if you're out there and you've got an application that you, maybe you've lost the expertise to manage it, um, maybe there's a little bit of technical debt there, and you're not really um, in a position where you can support it. Um, we could probably help you with that. So, Brian, I, just to add to that, I think uh, the other thing that we bring to the table is that we do have a lot of a uh, lot of development experience, right? Even some of the older technologies. So, for example, uh, back in the day, I I wrote a lot of uh, ASP code. This is classic ASP. Mm-hmm. Now, you might imagine that there's that's a technology that's no longer in use, but you'd be surprised. There are still ASP applications out there running. And those are the applications that are getting moved to the cloud. So you've got to have somebody who at least understands what's going on in there. Right. Uh, We wrote a bunch of uh, Perl scripts back in the day. Sure. Uh, Anyone remember that? Um, I took a college course in Perl. That's about the extent of it. And most of the folk out there today are expert in, say, React. Maybe they've taken a course or two on uh, .NET Core. Mm-hmm. But some of these older technologies, I'm not going to bring up Fortran because Mike will get all excited. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did so program to Fortran. Okay. Come on. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's, there's uh, so much code out there that needs to right. be moved to the cloud. And uh, you need folk who can actually dig in, understand it, mm-hmm. uh, make sense of what's going on, and then be able to map that to the best uh, go-forward approach, the best cloud approach, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we've had a few uh, PHP applications that we've hosted in Azure. Um, we've hit a few roadblocks along the way. We've had to fix them. Uh, but we've been there, done that. And so uh, I think with folk, uh, there, there's also a lot of uh, PHP applications. There's platforms like WordPress, uh, and there's a lot of plugins for that. So if somebody's got something stuck away on an old PHP server somewhere, and they want to move that to the cloud, well, that's an area that maybe we can uh, help, advise, uh, and uh, you know, map a path for them to get to the cloud. Yes, yeah, so you talk about some of the older technologies, but you're, you're starting to hit on something else we've been talking a lot about lately and that you're moving towards is the, the new platform, the new cloud tools, the CDS, the Azure tools. Um, talk to us a little bit about maybe your forward vision on some of this, uh, Ruan, and, and how you see um, you know, the application dev space moving as with this, you know, this new world of cloud enablement and, and even getting into machine learning and big data and things like that. Okay, Mike. So uh, before we uh, before we jump headfirst into that, um, a couple of days ago, my nine-year-old was uh, looking over my shoulder, and uh, he kept seeing Azure, Azure, Azure all over the place. And he asked, uh, "Tati," that's what he calls me. That's the equivalent of uh, "dad" in uh, Sinhala. Uh, which is my mother tongue. It's not my first language, unfortunately, but uh, it is my mother tongue. And uh, 
he asked me what uh, Azure meant. So I had to <coughs> uh, blue than blue. <laughs> well, I had to first explain to him that it was blue, and right. then my 13-year-old wanted to know why uh, there was so much blue uh, references on uh, what I was looking at. So we took a bike ride, and I uh, used the uh, half an hour or so to uh, walk him through why uh, Microsoft probably selected Azure as the term for their cloud platform. Right. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that now because uh, that's uh, probably a Different. very long, long and do, Let's do another story. podcast on that one. We'll do another <laughs> one. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think uh, Azure has got us really excited and we're looking at, you know, data lakes, and uh, some of the big data technologies out there. Again, we've got a few people in-house who now are really getting in-depth with it. Uh, so there's uh, buzzwords like Spark and Databricks. Um, if, you've, if you remember, Mike, we did some DTS, Data Transformation Services packages back in the day. Uh, it got renamed and improved to SSIS, uh, SQL Server mm -hmm. Integration Services, but the, uh, the new thing everybody's working on and talking about is uh, Azure Data Factory. Um, so we've been playing with some of that. We are looking at how uh, all of this can be packaged up together. Um, I'm, I'm again, I'm not going to uh, pretend to be uh, a huge expert on it, all of these technologies. But uh, we are very excited about what uh, uh, Azure Data Lakes Gen 2 brings to the table and how uh, so much data of different formats can all be uh, uh, accommodated there and then used to, uh, you know, to act, be accessed and uh, uh, used in your applications. Um, and then, of course, there's some of the new Microsoft technologies for writing applications. Uh, there's a lot of integration between all of this, which uh, is very exciting. And then the machine learning uh, uh, that you talked about, Mike, is, is where I think a lot of us want to be playing. And uh, there's a lot of services out there on Azure for making some of that uh, very accessible to folks who would otherwise not be able to maybe put all of that together. If you, if you had to write it from scratch or you had to buy a component and plug it in, that would be pretty expensive, I think. Mm -hmm. So now this a lot of this becomes very accessible. So that's those are the areas that we are looking into. We are researching, uh, helping a couple of customers as well with. But uh, we are very excited about how big data and uh, machine learning can really help us to uh, come up with some amazing uh, tools and applications, uh, very especially in the work management area as well, Mike, so. Absolutely, yep, yeah, it's exciting stuff. That's that we are looking into and we are obviously very uh, excited to be uh, working on. Awesome. Well, we're very excited to be working with you on a daily basis, Ruan, um, and the team over there. It's been absolutely fantastic in the year and couple of months that I've been involved. Um, really bring a lot of experience, depth, um, and uh, 
and diversity um, in toolset to the team. So it's been great. Uh, thanks for sharing with us today a little bit about your story and what we do and how our unique uh, position uh, that we're in and with uh, the Sri Lankan office. And uh, our forward thinking about how we're embracing these new technologies going forward. Do um, you have anything to add, Mike? No, it's just uh, it's been an amazing journey. Looking forward to to continuing it. And uh, I think we we need to have you on a few more times. Yeah, are you ready to be a regular on the Are You Done Yet podcast? Oh wow! Now you're making me question my uh, coming here in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> How did I get to this position? <laughs> We'll, be, we'll make sure the out. tapings are all real early in the morning U.S. time so you can participate. <laughs> right. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Ruban, and, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in again to the Are You Done Yet podcast available on YouTube, uh, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, on behalf of the Innovative E team, uh, thanks for coming, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Bye, everybody. everybody. Thanks.